Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, May 12th from Slate. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Are you like me? You ever play talk show karaoke? Here's how it works. You pretend that you're in the position of interviewee and you answer a question that's being asked, like on CNN's Crossfire. Does Monica Lewinsky speaking out help or hurt Hillary's 2016 ambitions? And then, like in karaoke, you pick up the mic and you offer your own take. All right, so Monica Lewinsky's Vanity Fair article affecting the election. All right, let's see. Right now, it is May of the year 2014. That's 514. Elections take place in November. So between 514 and 1114, there are six months, half a year, half a year between a magazine article and people, maybe people who need jobs, maybe people who are worried about fracking or government taking away guns or whatever, but six months between this magazine article and election day, and you're asking me... If it will have an effect, oh, wait, what's that? It's not the midterm elections you're talking about. It's the presidential election, the next presidential election in November of 2016. So that's not next November. That's not the November after that. That's three Novembers from now. Will the magazine article hurt Hillary's chances? 20 years and seven months after Lewinsky and Hillary Clinton's husband's last sexual encounter. Oh, and by the way, election day is November 8th, which is the last possible date for a U.S. presidential election to take place. So given all that, I'm going to go with no. No, it probably won't be on the top of mind for most voters. But let's see what the real life panelists said. I I think it marginally helps. Marginally helps. helps. I think it marginally hurts. Sometimes karaoke is better than the real thing. Coming up on the show, we'll talk about Beats Music. That's Beats by Dre and how Apple's going to pay billions of dollars for these already overpriced headphones. Plus, Sex Lab. Do I have to say more? Probably a little bit. It's a research lab in Australia where they talk about why people are attracted to each other. And in the spiel, I'll talk about something big that rises from the ground in Washington, D.C. It opened again. All right. Here's Beats by Dre. Apple will pay Dr. Dre and his partner, Jimmy Iovine, a reported $3.2 billion for, I guess, some headphones, his know-how, his Dr. Dre-ness, Beats by Dre. It's a big acquisition for Apple. 
even though Apple supposedly has so much money on the sidelines that it won't make a huge dent. But of course, it's getting a lot of attention because everyone knows Apple and everyone knows Dre. And what I can't understand is why this is a good deal. Yeah, big names coming together, but how will this uh, improve either of them's bottom line? So Franny Kelly, editor at NPR and host of Microphone Check, is here to help me figure this out. Hello, Franny. Hey, Mike. So I'll throw a red flag on myself. Yeah, no, I understand when I said it, how it doesn't make any of them rich. I understand how Dr. Dre is getting rich. If I were him (laughs) or Jimmy, I'd take the money. But what's the allure of Beats by Dre to Apple? Beats is essentially proprietary software and some light curation. It's an app. Yeah. So presumably it'll be an app in the iTunes store, which will do wonders for Beats. Perhaps it helps Apple really get into the streaming game in some way. But, you know, Apple has bought music services before and shut them down six months later. It happened with Lala. You know, I, I bet they won't do anything like that to something so high profile, but they could hobble it. At the same time, you know, why are they buying headphones? That's a great, really great question. We, we, you and I have tried those headphones before, and yeah. they're not particularly effective. They're okay. <laughs> Let's put it this way. If you painted over the part that said Beats by Dre, they'd probably sell for $300 less. Oh, certainly. But that's the whole point with headphones. People are buying an accessory. They're not buying a great way to listen to music. Right. And what people buy when they buy Dr. Dre's headphones is the success story. Right. Now, I get that. Okay. And I get that there's this signaling thing. But I read that the $350 headphones that retail for $350, the cost of them is $14. So, like, if it were, you know, they cost 50 bucks to make and they were sold for $150, I could get that. But at this point, why aren't we doing Occupy Dr. Dre? Like, why why is that 2,000% upcharge not, you know, shocking and kind of disgusting to everyone? I mean, you're wearing a polo shirt right now. Yeah, but I got it at the like... Are the ratios similar? <laughs> I, I think not. I don't think it's 2,000%. <laughs> I, I must say, I did get this at, at the outlet. Okay. All right. All so, right. you know, my defense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of what happened is they gave them away for free to a ton of people at yeah. the beginning. They gave them away to like most of the college sports teams. So, you know, this whole thing, is this an admission they need to play catch up in a big way in the field of music streaming? What iTunes always lacked was metadata. They had the ability to add it, and they just didn't seem to be interested. What Spotify has is metadata, and what Beats by Dre has is metadata. Beats also has this added layer of a human-like curation. How does, so explain how does the metadata uh, work to help my listening experience be better? Well, say you don't want just um, avant metal. You want avant metal made by a woman from Duluth with um, who made a career transition to get to where she is. Okay. So, like Conceivably, yeah. if there are enough fields, yeah. we could give you what you wanted. And, um, and iTunes just doesn't have that kind of stuff on the back end. And that, those are the ways that Beats is able to sort of service you with these, you know, the keywords that you put in and the, your mood. Mm-hmm. All of it is like a way to avoid having an actual human being recommend you music. Um, how much, is there any way that anyone could know how much of Dr. Dre's fingerprints has already been in the music that they're pushing out towards you? Like, could, do you ever say when you've sampled it, oh, I could see why Dr. Dre would say that that's a good song? No, you're betting that because Dre is successful in what he does, that he has linked himself with a superior algorithm, a superior curation machine. Yeah. I mean, I would go to any party 
Dre was spitting. Okay. I would fly there. Yeah. But uh, I can't imagine a world in which he's handpicking my music. So this means that Dr. Dre is like the richest guy in the history of hip-hop, right? Well, the way that we all found out about this was an Instagram video in which Dre and um, Tyrese, model, singer, actor, said, look, Dre's going to be the first hip-hop billionaire. Billionaire Boys Club, for real, homie. Huh? Fix your face. Fix your face. Oh, shit. The Forbes list just changed. And Dre's response to that was, Watts, Compton, South Central. And so with that, at West Coast. And what that means is for hip hop, yes, we finally get a billionaire. Look how far we came. And that's a big deal because, you know, hip hop is growing up in a way, which totally changes how hip hop functions in the world. That's going to be the the cultural question is, you know, what is rap music when it has shareholders and grown kids in college? And so in response, is Jay-Z going to start a hedge fund? I mean, to get to that billionaire plateau? Dre became involved with a company that was clearly built to sell itself. Yeah. He's, you know, he had this plan five years, six years ago. So maybe Jay is working on something else behind the scenes. But I don't presume to understand uh, Jay-Z's plan. Right now, he's just ducking the blows of uh, his sister-in-law, right? You know I'm not going to comment on that. Shut Down by Franny Kelly, who is music editor for NPR, and she's also the host of Microphone Check. Thank you, Franny. Thank you, Mike. So maybe you saw that study that said the optimal length of a beard is 10 days growth, which I sport at all times somehow. And maybe you wondered, there are people studying this? In fact, they are Australian people. Rob Brooks is the chief of those people. He is the professor of evolution at the University of New South Wales in Australia. Hello, Professor Brooks. Hi, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Describe your face at this very moment. I'm clean shaven. I was in Italy for a month over Christmas last year, and I didn't shave for about three weeks of that, and I was very disappointed with the product. Um, and came to the epiphany that I'm just not a beard grower. So I'm one of those people for whom clean shavenness really works. So here's how their study worked. They get guys to come into the lab, guys with big bushy beards, and they take a photo. Then they get these guys to shave it all off, take another photo, then more picture at five days, 10 days, etc. Then they ask women and men to come into the lab and rate the beard photo based on attractiveness. And they found 10 days is the perfect number. So that works on average, of course, but the other cool thing is that different people have different tastes, and we know that, but we can actually measure that because if women who come in and whose partners have beards or whose fathers had beards when they were growing up, those women tend to be more likely to go for the men with the big bushy beard or the 10-day growth. Women whose partners are clean-shaven or whose fathers were clean-shaven when they were were young tend to um, go more for the clean skins. So I have a theory, but tell me if the theory is right. I think that maybe the reason why some stubble or a decent amount of stubble is attractive is because it sort of serves the purpose like a tan. It darkens the face. It sort of serves like makeup. It kind of sometimes even fills in the creases, but still allows the jawline to be seen. And the jawline is, you know, an attractive feature to uh, the opposite sex. 
It's true. I think you're. I think you're really close to the money there. But I think it also accentuates the jawline. Mm-hmm. So you know, a, 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 a strong jawline. I think if you had a strong jawline, you would want to show it off. But if you've got the beard, what it does is it makes your jawline look a little more convincing than it might have looked without it. This is something we call a signal amplifier. Same as a tat on the on the bicep accentuates the size of the tat or draws attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas a big bushy beard can be a way of kind of hiding it. Some men, a lot of men actually, while I've been doing media for the story, have said, I hide behind my big beard because I don't have a very strong chin or a strong jawline. Right. So, um, you know, people are playing to their strengths here. We've got to remember that the question we need to ask is not why people grow beards, but why do people shave? Because, (laughs) you know, we evolved beards and we've had beards for millions of years. Only in the last, you know, two, three thousand years have we found ways to shave or to pluck hair. Caesar used to have his hair plucked out every day by a slave. Um, and, and so that's actually the weird trait. And it's strange that it's so common in our population. Yeah. And, you know, in U.S. politics, it's seen as you're, you'd be practically unelectable with a beard. It caused a minor stir when Al Gore had a beard. I know that Harry Truman had a goatee on vacation at times, but the last president with a beard, you know, may have just been uh, Abraham Lincoln for what we know. When Lincoln was around, we were really at peak beard then. Studies of the Illustrated London News, which is 150 years' worth of this magazine, they look at the men that are depicted in that magazine and show that in the 1890s, um, 90% of men either had a big beard or really prominent um, lamb chop sideburns and uh, big, thick moustaches. Yeah. So, you know, then there were very few clean-shaven men. Right. People say, yeah, well, Gillette invented the safety blade and blah, blah, blah. But I think the technology made it possible to do what people were doing anyway better. I don't think it's got anything to do with, you know, some commercial conspiracy to make us all clean shaven. Yeah. It always strikes me that Civil War generals and the bass player for ELO have a lot more in common than, you know, we think they would. So you started talking about the prominent jawline. The sex lab has also done research as to, you know, how much women like those very stereotypical male characteristics, right? I mean, it's one of the really interesting unresolved questions in evolutionary biology is, you know, what is the uh, attraction of masculinity? And I think women don't actually like highly masculine men. Some women like highly masculine men, but there are a sort of an equal counterweight of women who like men whose faces are more feminine, or shall we say less masculine. Right. But there's enough variation within, you know, there are nurturing lantern-jawed dudes and there are, you know, total pig-headed chauvinistic weak-chinned weak dudes. There's enough variation that we, you really shouldn't judge on that, should you? Uh, no, you, you shouldn't make overt judgments about what someone's like from what they, um, from, from their face. Yeah. However, we make these very implicit judgments yeah. and we make them very quickly when we see somebody based on the value of knowing, you know, how reliably that trait has indicated good or bad or helpful or unkind or dangerous in the past. Really, we're good at picking up on the the hundreds and hundreds of little cues that together add up to tell us whether somebody's a good bet or a bad bet. And facial masculinity is just a part of it, but it's such a strong part of it that we can detect the signal when we do these experiments. Facial masculinity. Now, I want to ask you, do you get the TV show Mad Men over there? Are you familiar with the lead actor, John Hamm? 
Um, we do. I'm, I've seen pictures of him around. Right. I've never watched it myself, though. Okay, but you know what he looks like. And yeah. the casting, the story of him in Hollywood and casting went like this. He couldn't get cast before Mad Men in any kind of prominent role because he was described generally as too good looking, but specifically as too much of a throwback to, you know, the 19, the era when Mad Men were set, the 1950s, the 1960s. And he has, you know, among the most prominent jaws of any television character I've ever seen. And I wonder if you have any thoughts that there, that that is accurate in the 50s, that look was more desired, or if you have any thoughts as to why, you know, leading men have become less stereotypically masculine. That's a great question. I think it's true they've become less stereotypically masculine, and, and, and one reason is that the nature of the economy has changed profoundly. So back in the, in the 50s and 60s, um, sort of certainly before the sexual revolution, you know, it was guys who brought home the bacon and they competed in, a, in a, a much more kind of robust economy. I mean, Mad Men itself, as far as I understand it, is a, a, about a very competitive male-dominated industry. Yes, the women are earning money, they're, bringing, they're often supporting their families, but they're almost doing it by stealth in this sort of um, dog-eat-dog, man-dominated world. Yeah. Um, nowadays, of course, you know, women and men are competing on a far more equal and equitable um, footing in the economy. Yes, it's not completely equitable, etc. But um, but the nature of the economy has changed completely, and so it's no longer enough for a man to compete against other men and to have high status among men. Um, but it, you know, men also have to be other things to to their partners. Rob Brooks runs the sex lab at the University of New South Wales, and he's the author of such books as uh, Sex, Genes, and Rock and Roll. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much. Great talking to you. And now for the spiel. The Washington Monument reopened today. Three years ago, it was damaged by earthquake. The interregnum was described yesterday by CBS's Bob Schieffer this way. Washington without the monument has been like Thanksgiving without the turkey. Actually, it's more like Thanksgiving without the centerpiece, the unimaginative, plain, not really trying that hard centerpiece. Because the Washington Monument is a boring, boring monument. It's as if the obelisk designers asked, you know what, give me a couple of traits about George Washington. All right. Let's see, he's tall, he's kind of stoic. That's it, that's all I need. But wait, 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 he's wise. He's the leader of men. He's brave and farsighted. He expertly managed constituencies. Yeah, that's okay, I got tall, I got doesn't say much. We're going with that. So let me go back to the centerpiece analogy. The Washington Monument is like as if there were this plan for an awesome centerpiece, and it would be a diorama where pilgrims frolicked around a maypole and Indians were depicted growing corn and deer and bear were seen gathering at the village's edge. But your inappropriate uncle, who doesn't much like Catholics, ruined it all, and after that, all that was left was the maypole. The Washington Monument was to be an awesomely ambitious statement. Architect Robert Mills, his design called for an obelisk, but just as one element, the obelisk was to rise above and draw attention to a colonnade below, festooned by chariots of 30 Revolutionary War heroes. And atop that structure, a stunning sculpture of George Washington commanding a horse-drawn chariot. This was not to be subtle, but at least it was to say something. As it happened, the design cost way too much. And then the whole thing got sidetracked when the know-nothings, the nativist American anti-immigrant anti-Catholic party, objected to a piece of stone sent by Pope Pius IX. 
The know-nothings managed to take over construction, or at least say they took over construction. You know, when it comes to monument construction, know what the know-nothings knew? Nothing. Also, the original builders did not actually drop their plans, so there were two groups claiming control of the monument. Construction halted. The obelisk stood half-completed, a bold beacon to the disruptive powers of infighting and prejudice. Upon surveying this sad federal nubbin in 1867, almost 20 years after construction started, Mark Twain said, it has the aspect of a factory chimney with the top broken off. After the Civil War, building went on, though with no Parthenon, no surrounding pillars, no chariot, no statues. So today, the monument is tall, and it is also tall. Tallest obelisk ever. Yelp gives it four and a half stars. You know, these days, it mostly gets credit for being, well, for just being. Today, the monument reopened. A former winner of the once popular TV show American Idol was on hand. Al Roker, the weatherman from the former top-rated TV news show, was there. I will guess that sponge cake was served and pleated pants worn by many in a stirring tribute to risk aversion and boringness. Let me read to you what the original plans were. It is proposed that the contemplated monument shall be like him in whose honor it is to be constructed, unparalleled in the world, and commensurate with the gratitude, liberty, and patriotism of the people by whom it is to be erected. It should blend stupendousness with elegance and be of such magnitude and beauty as to be an object of pride to the American people. And those words are grand. But you know what else is grand? Phrases like, we the people, and a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. You know, our government doesn't always live up to the ideal of its words or plans either. And this is how I've made my peace with the Washington Monument. It's not a tribute to Washington the man, but it is a pretty great reflection of the city that bears his name. The Washington Monument was cobbled together in piecemeal fashion. It isn't really great at what it does. We wish it did more, but it does serve some basic functions. And by this point, you've gotten used to it. And that is it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi is the producer, meaning she participates in the glory of contributing material, as well as funds in the construction of this podcast. Andy Bowers is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, made of marble and granite brought from each state. You can subscribe in iTunes and give us a review. Go to your favorite podcast app to listen. Stitcher, SoundClouds, TuneIn, all good ones, will be in the Slate Daily Podcast feed. Our email is the gist at slate.com. Let us know what you think. For instance, here's an email that we're going to get. How could you not mention phallic symbol? I have no idea what you're talking about. Thank you for listening. <laughs>